0: All right, how's everybody doing tonight? Hey, welcome to part four of our series called App Store. Anybody been here for part of the series on App Store so far? Yeah, it's been great so far, hasn't it? Uh, Now look, today we're in part four of the series, but you know what this series is about, right? It's about applying God's word to our lives, and we've been kind of building it around this idea of the App Store, because there are applications for everything in life, aren't there? I mean, if you have a smartphone, you know this. There are so many applications available. Uh, I have an iPhone. If you don't have an iPhone, I'm sorry for you, because iPhone's amazing. But listen, there are apps for everything. In fact, I'm kind of crazy on this. I search around for all these different kinds of apps, just trying to find if there's something. If there's something I want to do, I try to find out, is there an app for that? Now, of course, you search around and you find some weird stuff out there. There are some bizarre apps out there. For example, if you're here today and you don't have a boyfriend or girlfriend, but you want one, you know who you are, right? Some of us know who you are. But if you, have, if you don't have a boyfriend or girlfriend and you want one, there's an app for that for you. Now, here's what this app is it's called Honey It's Me, is the name of the app. And so what you do is you sign up for this app, and because you don't have a boyfriend or girlfriend of your own, they will send you four times a day. They will send you a video message from a 20-something-year-old model pretending to be your boyfriend or girlfriend four times a day. Now, now can't we agree that that's pathetic? Can't we agree? But there are people that actually buy this stuff. It's crazy. Now, look, if you're the one that bought it, did I just say you're pathetic? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. I, I said that. Uh, and I'm sorry I said it, but not really. Um, but, you know, this is, this is kind of how it is. But, but there are a lot of apps out there that are really extremely useful. For example, any hunters in the room? Anybody like to go hunting? I know there's some of you in the room, and I know some people are opposed to hunting. But listen, if you're a hunter, for $70 you can buy an app called Intelescope. Is the name of the app? It is this high-tech, sort of high fi sort of an app that basically is a scope for your rifle... And listen, you'll never miss a deer again. You pay $70 for this app. So this is something for you if you're a hunter. But there are all kinds of apps out there for just about everything you can imagine. But none of these apps do you any good, do they? If you don't download them, if you don't open them, and you don't use them. And this is kind of what we built this series around because the same thing is true in the spiritual life. The tagline for this series, it's called App Store. The tagline is Download open and use because listen there are some things in life we're, we're getting around this series that there are some topics that in God's word some things that God wants us to do that it's not good enough to just come to church and hear about Now you came here and that's good and you're going to listen you're going to be open as you listen but it will do you no good right if you just receive the download and you're open to it if you don't leave here and actually use it, if you don't actually apply it to your life, it does no good. You remember a few weeks ago in, in part one of the series, Pastor Jeremy uh, preached the message called Application Makes All the Difference, and it was based on James chapter 1, verse 22. And this is kind of the, the shaping verse for this entire series. Here it is, James 1, 22. It says this. It says, Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. But what? Do what it says. Now, it's interesting what it says here. It says, we are deceiving ourselves if we claim to be Christians and we don't apply God's word to our lives. Listen, true Christians do what God says. Now, not perfectly, right? (laughs) None of us are perfect at this. But listen, if you're a true believer, a true Christian, someone who's sincere in their heart toward God, I know something is true about you. That when you hear something taught from God's word, there's a desire that rises up inside of you where you want to do it. And you put forth effort to do it. This is what it means to believe in Jesus, to have faith in him, to trust him. It means that you have a desire and you put forth forth effort in your life to actually do what he says. In week number two, Pastor Chris talks about God's will for money, if you remember that. And hopefully you've heard and you've started to, to put forth some effort to apply this. And then last week, Pastor Jeremy and I teamed up, Jeremy on video, and I closed it live on stage talking about confession. Right? We we saw that real confession leads to real forgiveness, real healing, and real change. And so today's gonna be a little bit different. Uh, we're not gonna talk about a specific topic necessarily that we need to apply to our lives. We're going to back up a little bit. We're to, what we're going to talk about today is we're going to talk about why we should apply God's word to our lives. We're going to talk about how to do it. We're going to talk about God's promises and God's warnings today. These are the things God gives us to motivate us to do what He says. See, God's not one of those fathers that just says, Why should I do it? Because I said so, right? God's not one of those fathers. God gives promises, God gives warnings to motivate us to obey, and we're going to talk about how to stay focused on those promises and warnings so that we actually have the desire and the strength to do what God says, to apply his word to our lives. And so I think probably the best way to start a message like this, probably any message for that matter, uh, is just to ask for God's help. So let's just bow for a word of prayer together, because I know I'm going to need help, and I think you're going to need help uh, as we go through this together today. So let's pray together. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, we do want to hear from you today. So God, we ask that you would speak to us. We ask that, that our hearts would be open to you. So right now, God, we open our hearts to you right now. God, we ask that you would fill us with your spirit, Lord. Fill me with your spirit as I speak. Fill everyone in this room with your spirit as they listen. God, fill us all with faith. We ask that you would change us today. You'd make us more like your son, Jesus. God, may we not only be hearers of the word, But may we be doers of the word. God, accomplish that today through your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, anybody ever try to teach your, if you have kids, have you ever tried to teach your kids how to swim? Anybody ever do this, teach your kids how to swim? Uh, Good luck with that, right, if you've ever done it. Uh, I have four kids. My oldest is 21. I've got a 12-year-old right in the middle, and I have two six-year-olds. I I haven't yet taught the six-year-olds how to swim. I think this will probably be the year for that. But the older two I've taught how to swim, the 21-year-old and the 12-year-old, and uh, with both of them, it worked the exact same way. Now, I don't know if this is how it worked with your kids, but when I was teaching my kids how to swim, uh, at first, you know, I'd take them to the pool, and it, it was kind of a, one of those pools where there's a wading area, you know, where they can just kind of tiptoe in a little bit, get used to the water, and they do that. They go in about ankle deep, and that's about as far as they want to go at first, right? They're just afraid to go any further. About ankle deep is about all they can do. Uh, but, but they start watching the other kids, right? And the other kids are having fun, and they're splashing around, and it looks like a great time. And so eventually, the kids want you to pick them up, right? And carry them in a little bit further. So they're, they're comfortable going in about waist deep, as long as you're holding them. And then eventually, they're okay going in about shoulder deep. And at some point, they're actually okay with you dunking them under, as long as you're right there holding them, right? But I don't know about your kids, but we get to about this point... And it get to the point where I couldn't get them to go any further. I couldn't get them to do any of it without me. Only with me. Only if I'm holding them. This would go on for a while, Now I would just kind of get tired of it, because it's a little bit boring holding your kids all the time, you know? And so you want your kids to just branch out, and you teach them how to dog paddle, right? So they can float on their own, and it's going to be okay. You can do this. But I couldn't get my kids to do it on their own. They just wouldn't go past ankle deep. And so one day, I, I just got tired of it. And so before I tell you what I did, you have to promise me that you're not going to call Child Protective Services on me, okay? I promise. It was okay. Now, look, uh, my kids, they just refused to trust me more than they feared the water. Now, based on what I'm going to tell you, you're going to probably think that was a good idea. They shouldn't trust you more than they feared the water. So here's what I did. I thought, well, okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to throw you in the deep end to show you you can do it. And they were terrified. I said, no, no, we're doing this. It's time. And so I picked them up, literally kicking and screaming, and I had to throw them in the deep end. And they sink under the water, they pop right back up, and then they do exactly what I taught them. They do their doggy paddle all the way to the side, and they're fine. And this is what they did. Now, before you judge me too much, both of my kids look back on this moment of their lives as a great memory. They laugh their heads off about it today. They tell their friends about it, all right? Uh, and, And both of them are like fish in the water today. There comes a point where, listen, it's time just to jump in. You need to trust me. This is kind of how it is with God a lot of times, I think. You know, God, listen, what God wants for us, God wants you and I to go past ankle deep in our relationship with him. If you want to just write something down, you want to get one big idea thought that you you should walk away with today, this is it. God wants you and I to go past ankle deep. God wants us just to trust him. I and mean, listen, going past ankle deep with God has a whole, lot more to, to, a whole lot more to it than just having some fun in the water, right? I mean, Listen, God has incredible plans for your life. Listen, God wants to fill your life with his love and wants to put you on an adventure that would eclipse anything else that you could imagine. God wants to bless you He wants your life to count not only for this life, but for eternity, right? But in order to experience all that God wants for us, we have to be willing to go past ankle deep with him and just jump into the deep end of his will for our lives. We have to be willing to trust him. We have to be willing to do what he says. We have to be willing to apply his word to our lives. And the Bible is filled with commands, right? I mean, God is constantly telling us what to do. If you read the Bible for any length of time, you're going to find this. There are hundreds and hundreds of commands in the Bible where God tells us to do things in literally every area of life. He's got commands for your marriage. He has commands for your relationships. He has commands for your friendships. He has commands for your sex life. He has commands for your entertainment. He has commands for your money. He has commands for your work. God has commands literally for every area of life. And if you've ever wondered why is it that God is always telling us what to do, why is this? Well, Jesus one day explained it. and Here's how he put it. These are the words of Jesus about the commands of God. Jesus says this. He says, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Listen, Jesus says the reason God tells you what to do is because He loves you. Because He wants you to have joy, full, complete joy in your life. Listen, God is not an employer barking out a job description, He's not a taskmaster, a slave master, trying to get people to do His work for Him. God is a physician who's writing prescriptions for your health and wellness in your life. God is a father who has a loving plan for your life. The question is, do you believe that? Do you trust him? When God tells you what to do, is your first reaction, man, I want to do that because I know it's what's best for my life. I know this is where I'll find joy. I know this is where I'll find the fullest and most lasting love. When God tells me what to do, I say, when God says jump, do you say, how high? Because you trust him and you know It's best for you. Do you trust God enough to just do what he says? And so what I want to do for the rest of the message today is I want to convince you, not that you need convincing, but I want to celebrate this with those of us that are already convinced, and talk about why we should trust God. Why is it that when God tells us what to do, we should just, without any questions asked, just jump in the deep end and do it? Why is this? We're going to talk about God's promises And we're going to talk about his warnings. We're going to talk about how to stay focused on trusting him in a distracting world, right? Because it's difficult in this world to trust God. And I don't know of any better passage in the Bible to help us than Hebrews chapter 3. So if you have a smartphone or you brought a Bible with you today, turn to Hebrews chapter 3. We're going to camp out there for a little while. Uh, We're going to read the whole chapter in just a minute. But before we do, I think we just need some background for a minute on some of the things that Hebrews 3 talks about. Uh, The book of Hebrews... If I have two favorite books in the Bible, and I can't really decide between them, it's Romans and Hebrews. Such deep and rich books. Uh, If you've never just dug into the book of Hebrews, you should. It it is so rich and deep and and, and filled with just wisdom from God. Uh, But the book of Hebrews was written originally to a group of Jewish Christians who were being severely persecuted, who were suffering for their way. They are being mistreated and even imprisoned, a lot of them, simply for being Christians. I mean, they lived in a culture where it was extremely difficult to remain faithful to God. Sound familiar? Sound a little bit like our world today? Look, our world's moving more and more in this direction. It's getting harder and harder to stay faithful to God, isn't it? it? Seems like it's just against the grain of where the world is headed. This is how it was for these Jewish Christians in the first century And the writer of Hebrews wants to encourage and motivate them to remain faithful to God no matter what it costs them. And he does this by giving two examples. And so we're going to see this when we get to Hebrews 3. He gives two examples. One example of faithfulness and one example of unfaithfulness. The example of faithfulness is none other than Jesus himself. And believe me, we are going to celebrate Jesus in a few minutes as our example of faithfulness to God. But there's another example in this chapter, it's it's an example of unfaithfulness, and it really was the entire nation of Israel when they rebelled against God after Moses delivered them from slavery in Egypt. It's a crazy story. They lived through this deliverance from slavery, and God brought them into the wilderness and, and taught them. And eventually they rebelled against him. It's a a very interesting story. It's found in Numbers chapter 13 and 14, if you really want to track the story of Israel and what happened to him. But, But after parting the Red Sea, so God parts the Red Sea, he delivers them from slavery in Egypt, and then he brings them into this wilderness at the mountain of Sinai. And for two years, God prepares them for the promised land. And God has a plan for the nation of Israel that would blow your mind, just a, a plan of blessing and prosperity. And, and, and he was going to bring them into this land that was known as the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And God was going to be their God, and he was gonna, they were going to be his people. And, and God, for two years, he gave them his laws. And he gave them instructions on how to build a tabernacle where they could worship him. And after these two years were up, It was finally time. God was ready to lead the people into the promised land. And so God gives them a command. He says, hey, it's about time to go. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to send 12 spies over into the promised land. Pick 12 people, one from every tribe of Israel. Send them over into the promised land so they can see how amazing the land is. Have them bring back some of the fruit from the land so you can taste it. And have them bring back a report about the the enemy nations that live there that I'm going to send you to attack and defeat. And so these 12 spies, they go over there, and they see how amazing the land is. They bring back some of the fruit, and it's amazing. But they also bring back a report about the people who lived there, and they were not excited about that. The people who lived there were big and strong and powerful and had large armies. And these spies, 10 of the 12 spies come back, and here's the report they gave. We can't attack those people. This is Numbers 13, 31. We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And the fear of those 10 of the 12 that came back, two of them said, hey, God's with us. What can stop us, right? But 10 of them said, no, we can't do this. Those people are too big and strong for us. And they end up influencing the whole rest of the community and the whole nation in Numbers chapter 14. The whole nation grumbles against God in fear refuses to enter the promised land and actually says, we want to go back to Egypt. We would rather be slaves in Egypt than go over there and face those people. It's crazy. In other words, the people of Israel decided they feared the enemy nations more than they trusted God. And God was not happy about it. Here's God's response in Numbers fourteen twenty-six. Listen to this. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, How long will this wicked community grumble against me? He calls them wicked. Don't miss that. You know the only thing they're guilty of? We think of wickedness, we think of a lot of things. You know the only thing these people were guilty of? They feared their enemy more than they trusted God. They didn't trust God enough to do what he said. They weren't having sex outside of marriage. They weren't getting drunk. They weren't taking drugs. They weren't abusing people. They weren't lying or cheating. They just simply didn't trust God enough to do what he said. God says, how long will this wicked community grumble against me? I have heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. So tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very thing I heard you say. In this wilderness, your bodies will fall. Not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home. Your bodies will fall in this wilderness. I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will surely do these things to this whole wicked community which is banded together against me. They will meet their end in this wilderness. Here they will die pretty intense and this is exactly what happened listen the entire generation of people that god delivered from slavery in egypt all of them that passed through the red sea listen there were only three or four of them that survived moses and aaron and and joshua and caleb other than that like the whole the whole bunch of them not a single one of them lived long enough to enter the promised land it was 40 years before their children and grandchildren finally did enter the promised land. And this little story is the backdrop for a lot of what we're going to see in Hebrews chapter 3. So if you got Hebrews chapter 3 open, we're now going to move forward a couple thousand years to the writer of the Hebrews writing to these Jewish Christians and looking back on the nation of Israel as an example for them of what not to do. And he gives the same example to us. Hebrews chapter 3. Let's read it together. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses. Moses. Just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future, but Christ is faithful as the son over God's house. And we are his house. If indeed we hold firmly to our confidence in the hope in which we glory, so... they shall never enter my rest. He gets real personal in verse 12. He says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you... And he would look us straight in the eye and say this to us today. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. As has just been said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their, what? Unbelief. Unbelief. The problem with the nation of Israel in the wilderness is that they refused to go past ankle deep. They refused to jump into the deep end of God's will for their lives, which is absolutely crazy when you consider what God had done for them. I mean, they were afraid of these nations in the promised land, forgetting that God had just delivered them from the most powerful nation in the world. Listen, Egypt was absolutely the most powerful nation in the world at that time, and God delivered them from Egypt in miraculous fashion. You remember how he did it with the ten plagues? I mean, it's crazy. You know, one of the ten plagues, what was the plague of frogs? I I hate frogs. I don't know if you're a frog lover, but I hate frogs. Could you imagine tens of thousands of frogs everywhere you look? Frogs in your bedroom, frogs on your bed, frogs on your kitchen table, frogs in your bathroom, frogs coming up out of the toilet. Frogs everywhere. Apparently, God can tell frogs what to do. And they listen, which is better than most of us. But it's crazy, isn't it? Listen, I guess that, though, and then the other nine plagues that God gave, all of which were just crazy and intense, an extreme display of power, where God literally decimated the nation of Egypt, the most powerful nation in the world. I mean, what does God have to do? Part the Red Sea or something? oh, wait, he actually did that. He dried up an entire sea so the people of Israel could cross over. And the minute they're far enough over and the enemy nation comes after them, the sea comes crashing down on their heads and drowns every last person in the Egyptian army. And yet, the people of Israel would not enter the Promised Land they wouldn't go past ankle deep. Oh, they would cross over the Red Sea when the ground was dry, when they could see how it was all going to work out. It doesn't take a lot of faith to walk on dry ground when you see a sea get parted in front of your eyes. But what happens when God tells you what to do and you can't figure out how it's going to work? What happens when the enemy nations are big and strong? And you don't know what God's going to do and how he's going to accomplish it. They wouldn't go past ankle deep when it required real faith, when it required real trust. And this is where the rubber meets the road in our relationship with God, isn't it? Will we obey him? Will we apply his word to our lives even when it isn't clear how it's going to be best for us? I mean, will we get to the point where when God says something, we'll just do it, no questions asked, because we trust him? Or will he tell us what to do in some area of your life and we'll say, Ah, I can't really see how that's going to be better for me than this. That's not going to feel as good as this. That's going to take way too long. This is faster. What will we do? Will we go past ankle deep? When it isn't clear that the water is safe, will we trust God? Are we sure that his commands are best for us? Listen, the writer of the Hebrews is going to give us two very compelling and powerful reasons why we should go past ankle deep, why we should trust God, why we we should just do what he says whenever he says to do it. Two very powerful reasons, the first of which is this. We should go past ankle-deep because of Jesus. Look what he says in Hebrews 3, 1 and, verse, and in verse 6. Listen to this. It says, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on who? Jesus. Fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. Christ is faithful as the Son over God's house. And we are his house if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. The writer says we should hold firmly to our confidence in Jesus because Jesus is our apostle, Jesus is our high priest, and Jesus is the faithful son over God's house. And we are his house if we hold firmly to our confidence in him. Now, if you don't know what some of these words mean, Prepare yourself to just be amazed and in awe of what God has done by sending his son Jesus into the world. There are some of you in this room where you've never quite grasped what exactly God did when he sent his one and only son into the world to save us. Jesus came into the world to be our apostle. The word apostle just means one who is sent with a message. Jesus came into the world to show us. He was the sent one, sent to show us what God is like. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. If you want to know why you should trust God, look at Jesus. If you want to know why you should go past ankle deep and just jump into the deep end with God, all you've got to do is just look at Jesus. The author of Hebrews says, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Because if you do, oh, what you will see. What you will see if you fix your thoughts on Jesus, you will see that God is for you and not against you. You will see that God loves you with an unstoppable and extravagant love. You will see that God is willing to do anything and pay any price to rescue you. You'll see God has the power to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, and he intends to use that power to keep every promise he's ever made to you. God's will for your life is the best of all possible plans. This is what you see when you look at Jesus. And the reason that's what you see is because Jesus is not only our apostle, but Jesus is our high priest. Jesus came to personally do whatever was necessary to fix our broken relationship with God. I don't have to convince you that you're a sinful person whose relationship with God has been broken. And that God often feels distant from us. Here's why because of our sin, we're over here, and God's way over here, and there's a great chasm between us. There's a canyon between us, bigger than the Grand Canyon, and there's not a single human being that can cross it. Which is why God sent Jesus into the world, fully God and fully man. You've got to get this. There was a problem that we had. Man's over here, God's over here. There is no man that can bridge that chasm. The only problem is, it's got to be a man that bridges it. We're the ones who sinned, men and women like us. Somehow we have got to find a way across the canyon. But none of us can do it. Listen, when you sinned against God, when I sinned against God, we committed an infinite crime... And there is no way to pay that infinite debt as men and women like us. Only one can pay it. Which is why God sent his son, the very son of God, fully divine in every respect, with all of the resources of God himself, became a man. Listen, because Jesus was was the son of God, he could live a sinless life. He had the power to resist and overcome every temptation that Satan threw at him. Because he was the son of God, he he resisted all sin and lived a sinless life on our behalf. Because Jesus was fully man, he was able to die a sinner's death on our behalf. But because he was the son of God, he was able to pay the full penalty for sin and still have something left over on the other side. And you know how we know he we, you know had something left over on the other side? is because Jesus rose from the dead victorious over the grave. Praise God. Hallelujah. <laughs> Listen, this is what Jesus has done for us so that whoever believes in him, whoever trusts him, whoever's willing to go past ankle deep with him, Receives complete forgiveness. Is filled with the very spirit of God. Receives eternal life, eternal joy, eternal peace in his presence. Jesus is our high priest who brings us back to God. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. Oh, what you will see. And not only is Jesus our apostle and high priest... Jesus is the son over God's house. And anyone who puts their faith in him literally becomes his house. If you come to Jesus and put your faith in him, his father becomes your father and Jesus becomes your brother. How incredible is that? You know it says in Hebrews 2 that Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. We become the very children of God through him. Sons and daughters of the king of the universe. Which means, as his kids, God intends to use all of his power and all of his resources to protect and provide for you. So yeah, when God says to do something, you probably ought to just do it. He loves you with an everlasting and infinite love. And if God is for you, nobody can successfully be against you. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. We should go past ankle deep because of Jesus. There's a second reason that the author gives for why we should go past ankle deep, and it's this. We should go past ankle deep, or we die in the desert. Look again at Hebrews 3, 15 to 19. As has just been said, today if you hear his voice... Do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Listen, fixing your thoughts on Jesus means focusing on all that God has promised you. But there's a flip side. God not only makes promises. Why should you jump in the deep end with God and just do what he says? Because of Jesus. Because it's just what's best. But if that's not good enough for you, God also has some warnings. Let these warnings convince you. Now, I know there are some people that think the warnings are no longer applicable to us today because of Jesus. I mean, Jesus came and showed us such love from God, we think these warnings can't possibly apply anymore. Well, the author of Hebrews would beg to differ. The same warning that God gave to the people of Israel is being given to you in Hebrews chapter 3. Long after Jesus died and rose from the dead, these warnings are still very real God says, don't harden your heart. Don't rebel against me. Don't refuse to trust me. Don't fear or desire anything in this world more than you fear or desire me. If you do, you will die. You will perish in the wilderness of this world if you refuse to trust. You should go past ankle deep or you will die in the desert. Because going past ankle deep just proves that your faith is real. Listen, it proves that you're genuine and not a fraud. This is what faith does. Faith trusts and obeys. Refusing to trust and obey proves that your faith isn't real. I want to show you what I think is probably the most terrifying warning in the entire Bible. Every time I read this, I shudder. It it literally, this, this is terrifying. Hebrews 10, verse 26 Same book, book of Hebrews. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. The deliberate refusal to trust God enough to obey him makes him very angry. People who know God's commands and deliberately refuse to trust and obey, God considers his enemies, not his family. He doesn't call these people sons and daughters. He calls them enemies. Now, you notice this warning is not made to people who sin. Don't miss this. This is not a warning to people who sin. That will be all of us. This is a warning to people who deliberately keep on sinning. These are people who sin, and they're not sorry about it, and they have no intention of stopping. This is a deliberate, willful decision where you know what God says, and you're just deciding to do something else. God calls this rebellion, an intentional, willful disregard for God's commands. So listen, if this is you in in any area of your life, and you should think about this long and hard for a minute, Is there any area of your life where you know what God says and you're just deciding to do something else? You should be very concerned. That rebellious attitude is going to lead to your death if you don't turn from it. Listen, that attitude makes Jesus' death on the cross meaningless for you. There no longer remains any sacrifice for that sin unless you turn from it. So listen, if you're currently deciding to live a lifestyle of sex outside of marriage, this warning is to you. If you're currently deciding to enjoy pornography or sexually immoral music or television or books or movies as a habit in your life, this warning is to you. If you're currently being emotionally or physically unfaithful to your spouse, this warning is to you if you're currently pursuing wealth or possessions rather than service to God and others, this warning is for you. If you are currently intentionally and deliberately refusing to forgive someone who has wronged you or offended you, this warning is to you. If you are currently turning to alcohol or drugs or food to cope with the stress in your life and you are not getting the help you need to change, this warning is to you. Do not harden your heart. Do not refuse to trust God. Do not refuse to obey him. We need to go past ankle deep or we will die in the desert. It's the choice between life and death. The choice between what is best and what is not. Listen, we should go past ankle deep because of Jesus. And we should go past ankle deep or we will die in the desert. It's time to jump in the deep end with God and just do what he says. What's stopping you? Why do you deliberately keep on sinning and call yourself a Christian? Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, but do not do what I say? Not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father in heaven. Do you trust me? Or do you harden your heart? So the question is, for all of us, is how do you live this way? Right, where you just jump when God says jump. It is not easy. In the, there, there's a reason these warnings are given to us, because this is not easy. This is a difficult world to remain faithful to God. So the question is, how do you do this in a culture like ours that makes it so difficult? And I see three things, and you might want to write these down. I think these are the things that we need to just do if we want to stay faithful to God till the end. Three things. You might want to write them down. Number one, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Number two, receive the encouragement of God's people. And number three, just obey by far the most important thing for us to go past ankle deep is to fix our thoughts on Jesus. Listen, Jesus is the proof of God's love. Jesus is the proof, the demonstration that God's going to keep his promises. If you're struggling to trust and obey, just fix your thoughts on Jesus. Look, it'll solve your problem every time. Fix your thoughts on him. But the problem is everything in our culture is trying to pull you away from that. Everything in our culture is competing for your attention, trying to fill your thoughts with something else. The people and things of this world are making promises of their own to compete with God's promises. We're constantly being tempted to doubt God and believe that there's something better out there than his will. And we have got to guard our minds and our thoughts. We need to fix our thoughts on Jesus. Now, I get asked all the time, is it a sin to listen to non-Christian music? And I say, maybe not, probably not, maybe not. The question is, does it help you fix your thoughts on Jesus? If it doesn't, then it has the potential to harden your heart with the deceitfulness of sin. Now, you might say, Pastor Greg, that sounds pretty extreme, And I say, not more extreme than the Holy Spirit who says, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Listen, we need to apply this. This means something. We need to do this. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. What do you listen to? What do you watch? What do you read? What do you talk about? What do you think about? Does it help you fix your thoughts on Jesus? If not, I say get rid of it. And if you think that sounds too extreme, you haven't read what I've been reading. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. Second, receive the encouragement of God's people. Listen, there is no way that any of us will make it to the end without the encouragement of God's people. There is no way. We need our brothers and sisters in Christ. Here is the role we're supposed to have in one another's lives. You want to know why you know me? Why I know you, here's why. This is what we're supposed to be for one another. Hebrews 3, 12 and 13. Listen to this. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Listen, we need to do this for each other. We need to receive this from each other. You, you need to welcome this from your brothers and sisters in Christ. This is why we have life groups. In our, if you ever wonder why do we have life groups, this is why. So we can encourage one another every day to keep us from being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin that is so pressing against us in this world. Listen, if you see a brother or sister in Christ struggling with some habitual sin in their life... You have a responsibility. You have an obligation to encourage them with the promises and the warnings of God. Don't let it go. That is not love for them. This is what we need to do for one another. We have a responsibility in this. It even says we need to do this daily. So we need to fix our thoughts on Jesus. We need to receive the encouragement of God's people. And thirdly, there is simply no substitute for just good old-fashioned obedience. You know, obedience is is a choice that you make, right? You just decide to do it. And there's some of us in this room, this is where we're at. We just need to make a decision. We might not have it all figured out. We may not not have all of our doubts removed. You just need to make a conscious choice today, a deliberate decision for whatever that area of your life is that you're holding back. You just need to make a decision. I'm going to obey jump into the deep end and see what God does. There's an old Christian song that I love. It's called, Trust and Obey. For there is no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. And that's where some of us are at today. You just need to trust God enough. You need to make a decision to obey him for whatever area of your life. The Holy Spirit says this. He says, today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts. Trust me. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. Heed my warnings. Don't die in the desert. Live with me forever with joy and love and peace. Why why will you choose death when life is offered you? Don't harden your heart. Trust me and obey. I think this is where we need to land today. I think there's a bunch of us that just need to have a moment with God. Just make a decision today, a choice based on what you've heard. God, I'm going to trust and obey. Listen, if you're here today and you've never made any decision like this for God in your life, you're on the front end, you're just kind of tiptoeing toward this Maybe you're here for the first time today. You've never even been to church before. You don't know if you believe any of this. I'm telling you, just take a step toward God. God has a promise. He says, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. God will meet you in that step. Take a step. Trust him enough just to take a step further in, a little bit deeper. Maybe a first step today, to open your heart to God and say, God, I want to trust you. I want to obey you. Help me. Forgive me. I want to go past ankle deep because of Jesus. And because I don't want to die in the desert. Would you just bow your heads with me for a moment? Let's just respond to God in prayer. Let's apply what we've heard right now. Ask God, what is the area of your own life where you're not trusting Him and you know it? Maybe there's several areas. Talk to him about it right now, God. Just tell him, God, I want to trust you. I'm struggling. Help me to trust you. I want to trust you. I don't know why I can't just jump. Help me jump. Pick me up, God. Throw me in the deep end, God, if you have to. Help me trust and obey. Forgive me, God. Because I haven't. Help me leave here different today because of what I've heard. I decide today, God. I want to trust you. I want to obey you. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for your warnings. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for making it so plain to us because of Jesus that you love us. You want what is best for us, but you will not tolerate our hard hearts. If we reject you, if we push you away, if we deliberately keep on sinning, there no longer remains a sacrifice for our sins. God, let that not be true of anyone in this room. Soften our hearts today, God. Help us to trust you and obey you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.